Well, I like statistics for two reasons. Number one, they're great attention getters. When you say a statistic, people's ears perk up. The second reason I like statistics is because of that initial reaction that we have when we hear that statistic. It's a good indication of where our hearts are and where our hope lies. And so, do I have your attention? Did it work? Come on. Y'all are tough this morning. Do I have your attention? All right. Now it's time then for the test, the heart test and the hope test. And so here comes the statistics from the Pew Institute, newly released, carrying this title. Christians could lose majority status in America by 2045. Not many years from now. What does that do to your hope? To your heart? Does it cause you to fear or does it challenge you to faith? The article goes on to say, barring any limiting event such as war or economic depression, if the pace at which Christians abandon their faith before the age of 30 were to accelerate beyond its current pace, America could no longer be a majority Christian nation by as early as 2045. Of course, it is possible that events outside the study's model, such as war, economic depression, climate crisis, changing immigration patterns, or religious innovations could reverse current religious switching trends, leading to a revival of Christianity in the United States. The researchers noted that there are no current switching patterns in the U.S. that can be factored into the mathematical models to project such a result. No current switching patterns that can be factored in to the mathematical models. Now, I would be in despair after reading that if it weren't for this one fact. The power of God through the Holy Spirit of God can switch current patterns. Do you believe that? So so we have hope. Listen, he can switch the patterns of your life. He can switch the patterns of my life. Patterns we don't like, patterns we don't want to continue. So, So have hope. Look, the Holy Spirit of God can change the patterns of culture. Those inexplicable periods of time that we refer to as revivals or great awakenings. During those times, the patterns of culture were changed. It was God's work. It was God's power. It was God's timing through his church. So we have hope because listen, statistics are only reflective. They are not determinative of anything because guess what? You can't factor in the power of God and the Spirit of God into any mathematical formula to make any projection for your life. Listen, your life has details. And you look at some of those details and you look around and say, well, these details normally lead to this. Forget it. You're more than a statistic. Have hope. There's hope for our culture as well, that God can be, bring change. So we, we have great hope 
through the power of God and through the spirit of God for change. And so I believe this morning that you and I must be people of hope and the power of God through the spirit of God. And that's what I want us to talk about as we return one more time to 1 Corinthians chapter two. So I'm gonna ask if you have your Bibles to take those out, open to 1 Corinthians chapter two when you found your place. I'm gonna ask you to stand so that we might hear read together the word of the living God. Hear now this inspired word of the living God, the apostle Paul writes, and I, when I came to you brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified, And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Let's pray. Father, pour out on your your power on us, we pray now, through the work of your spirit as we come to your word. Lord, change us, switch the patterns of our lives in light of your truth and by the the, the grace of your power at work in us, for we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. I feel like we have a little unfinished business from last week. It's easy to preach, as I preached last week, that a, a rich and full and vibrant faith is formed from the word of God, the power of God, and the spirit of God. And I could easily preach that because that's what the apostle Paul preaches here in verse four. He says, my speech and message were not implausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power, so that, according to verse five, your faith might rest on the power of God. So a rich Full, vibrant faith is not only words, the apostle writes, but the word plus the spirit plus the power of God. So what does it look like to have these three at work in our lives? It's easier to have just one of those, the word, this word, because the word is concrete, it's finite. You can hold it, read it, study it, analyze it, parse it, diagram it. This feels safe to us, not because we can be or do all that it calls us to do, and not because the word of God doesn't challenge us in our lives to uncomfortable places, but simply because we we can hold it, we can contain it right here. But the spirit of God and the power of God are not those things. They are infinite We can't hold them, much less can we contain them. And I'm making this distinction between the power of God and the spirit of God for this reason. Number one, Paul makes that distinction. But number two, the power of God sort of feels objective. But the spirit of God is so personal. He's a person who loves us, who longs to work on our behalf. So what does full faith look like? When we add the Holy Spirit and the power of God to the word of God, what expectations can we have? 
for the work of the Spirit. I believe that we are on the safest ground in answering those questions when we turn to these finite scriptures to get the pictures of the infinite work of the Holy Spirit of God and the power of God. Now, let me say this. The work of the Spirit is not a one-size-fits-all, except in this one way, and that is in calling us to faith. The details vary, but the work is the same. It's not unique. It's redundant. Over and over and over and over again, God does the same thing. He opens our eyes. He opens our hearts. He opens our minds to see our need for Christ, and then he grants us his grace so that we, by faith, might embrace Christ as our Lord and Savior. But living in the Spirit and by the power of God looks different in each of our lives, and that's what we see in Scripture. It would take a long time for me to demonstrate the power of the Holy Spirit recorded just in the book of Acts, much less in the entirety of Scripture. So I'm going to do this. I'm going to limit that look at his work to just a few stops that Paul made along the way on his missionary journey before he got to Corinth, and then a couple of stops after Corinth. And you find all these in Acts chapter 16 through 20. So here's the first stop. We see the Holy Spirit of God directing the steps of Paul. Paul intended to go to Asia. After he left Derby and Lystra, but Scripture says, quote, that he was forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So he went to Phrygia, in Galatia instead. And when he and his team came up to Mycenae, they attempted to go to Bithynia. But scripture says, quote, the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go. And so they went instead to Troas. And while Paul was in Troas, he had that famous vision of the man who said to him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so Paul's missionary journey through the leading of the Spirit was redirected to that place. And so we see here a demonstration of the power of God in guiding the steps of Paul, directing them and redirecting them. When Paul got to Macedonia, he arrived in Philippi. And when he was there, he cast a demon out of a slave girl. And as a result... He was severely beaten and he was thrown in jail. You know this story as well. At midnight, while Paul and Silas were singing and praying, a great earthquake came and it shook the foundations of the jail and all the cell doors were open and all the chains fell off. And in that moment, Paul was released and the Philippian jailer said, what must I do to be saved? And so we see here a demonstration of the delivering power of the Holy Spirit to physically deliver Paul from bondage and to spiritually deliver the jailer from spiritual bondage. Soon Paul arrives in Corinth and we're going to come back to that stop in a few minutes. After Corinth, Paul goes to Ephesus. Listen to what happened there. And God was doing 
extraordinary miracles by hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them. Here is a dramatic demonstration of the healing power of God. Well, soon Paul leaves Ephesus. He arrives again at Troas, and Paul's preaching, and he's preaching until midnight. Count your blessings. I could do it. (laughs) And so there's a young man. He's seated in the window, and while Paul preaches, he falls asleep. He falls out the window three floors down, dead on the ground. But the apostle Paul went to Eutychus. He bent over him, Scripture says, and he took him up alive. And so here is a dramatic demonstration of the resurrecting power of God. So we see these different demonstrations of the power of God and the work of the Spirit his guiding power, his delivering power, his healing power, his resurrection power, power used in very real but very different ways to accomplish God's different purposes among different people. So now let's come back to Corinth. Paul writes in verse 4 of a demonstration of the Spirit and of power that tells us that something happened among them something at which the Corinthians could point to to prove the reality of the Spirit of God and the power of God. And yet, on Paul's first trip to Corinth, recorded in Acts 18, we read of no dramatic demonstrations of power, no miracles, no mighty works, like the ones that occurred in the stops both before and after Corinth. Corinth does, however, have this very, very special distinction. It's one of the few places recorded in Scripture outside of the Gospels and the book of Revelation where the voice of Jesus speaks. If you have a red letter Bible, you can just flip through and you'll see how seldom do we see Jesus speaking. But he speaks to Paul in Corinth. And he tells him, do not be afraid, says Jesus. But go on speaking and do not be silent for I'm with you. And no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And so Paul stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. So so look, Jesus tells Paul to speak the gospel, to teach the gospel to not be silent concerning the gospel because Jesus says, my people are in this city. Is that not beautiful? What an intimate term. Jesus, you my people. There are people in Corinth that Jesus already loves. They're already his own. And he says, Paul, you preach the gospel so that those people might know that I am their own. I am their Lord. I am their savior. I am the lover of their souls. And so the demonstration of the power of the Spirit in Corinth seems to be in the lives that were changed. The preaching and the teaching, the gospel, by the patterns that were switched. Corinth was a thriving city. 
crossroads between the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It was a city that was famous, or better, infamous, for its wanton sexual immorality and its self-indulgence. It was known to be a city full of the worship of gods and idols in every area of their life. In the government, there were idols. In the civic life, there were idols. In the workplace, marketplace, there were idols. And in people's private lives, there were idols everywhere. In this city, a city like this, people were coming to faith in Christ and lives were being changed. And people were abandoning self-indulgence and idol worship and they were living their lives for Christ. And you could point to their lives and say, look, look at the power of God through the spirit of God. It's an amazing work. Listen, it's change. It's an amazing work of the spirit and it must not be discounted or considered a lesser power this power to bring life change and switch current patterns. I know my own heart and yours is probably similar. And there's a part of us that longs for these power encounters, don't we? We long for the dramatic healings. We long to hear the voice of God speak audibly to us and tell us exactly what to do and exactly where we should go. We long for those powerful earthquakes in our lives where God really shows up, not only just to bolster our own faith, but to demonstrate to a world that denies him that he really exists. But here's the reality when we get any one of those. So God should speak audibly to you, to me. There are plenty of times in our lives that we will still have to make decisions. Directions will have to be determined. Apart from hearing the distinct voice of God speaking to us, the reality is that the healed will become sick again. The reality is that those who are resurrected to life will die again. And so I call these demonstrations of power, low wattage power. Not because they're not real, not because they're not powerful, not because the people who experienced them were not inexpressibly thankful to the Lord for them, but I call them low wattage only in that they are momentary. They are not long lasting, but look, changed lives, your changed life, my changed life, that is forever. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. Is that good news? We are God's children now, and that's not going to change. The change is that it's just going to get better and better and better as our lives look more and more and more like the life of Christ. And that changed life is visible. We can point to the new patterns, the new behaviors, 
the new loves and desires that we have. They are all demonstrations of the power of God through the Holy Spirit. And I believe that was the demonstration of the power of God and the Holy Spirit of God to which Paul refers here. In verse 4, as what happened in Corinth. And so I suggest that it's the power of God and this power of the Spirit that we should seek, that we should long for in our lives. The power that brings lifetime change. I am not suggesting that you do not pray for that dramatic healing. No, pray for it. Pour out your heart to God over it. I'm not suggesting that you don't pray to hear the unmistakable voice of God speaking to you. Pray to hear it. This is not my attempt to get God off the hook for not producing these demonstrations of power in our lives or to protect his reputation because at the end of the day, we just really don't believe God has the power to do those things. No, I'm just suggesting that the dramatic events recorded in Acts were the attention getters. They were the short-lived preludes, the signs that pointed to the greater lasting power of changed lives. Please, if you will, look in verse nine. Paul writes there, he quotes scripture. What no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. So often this verse is taken out of context to refer to heaven, what awaits us there. It has nothing to do with heaven. This verse refers to salvation, life in Christ. Salvation, life in Christ. What our lives are like in Christ. No human eye could see it. No human ear could hear it. No human heart could imagine the goodness and the greatness of what God will do in us and through us, through his spirit and by his power. But God imagined it and God does it. It's how he demonstrates his power in our lives and we must not discount it. We must not consider it a a lesser power than the power encounters we seek. It's the greatest power of God. Look, if you will, in verse 12. Paul writes, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might understand the things freely given us by God. Understand the things given us by God. What could be a greater demonstration of God's power through his spirit than to understand the deep things of God. And so you and I have a choice to make. We can be in despair that we don't experience the dramatic, that God doesn't send the earthquake for which we long, or we can seek the power of God and the Holy Spirit that searches the mind of God That privilege is ours to know the mind of God through the Spirit. We can be constantly exploring what verse 10 calls the depths of God. 
Think of who we could be. Think of who you could be, who I could be. Think of what we could be if we even in small ways comprehended the thoughts of God. Because look in verse 16. The Spirit has given us the mind of Christ. Can you believe it? And so the choice is ours to make, yours and mine. The commitments are ours to make. The commitment to prayer by which the Spirit of God connects us to God. The commitment to the Word of God through which the Spirit of God reveals Christ and His glory and His power to us. And what hope we always have when we see Christ. Do you have hope when you see Christ? Do you? If you do, would you say amen? Do you? If we seek this kind of power, what kind of people will we be? What patterns in our lives will be switched? You know, we make this commitment and we can have hope you and I, for a great revival in our own lives, for a great awakening in our own hearts. And as an army of people together whose lives have been changed, whose patterns have been switched by the power of God through the Spirit of God, what hope for change might we bring to our world? Might God have another revival around the corner. Might God have another great awakening ready to happen? I hope so. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the power of your spirit. And Lord, now I just offer for us this prayer from Ephesians 1, not that we can comprehend it. It's too deep for us as the words go so quickly by, but we can listen for the power words and the spirit words. And so with the Apostle Paul, we, I pray I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and dominion and power and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. Father, now for this power, this immeasurable greatness, for the working of your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.